What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Another week, another episode of my podcast, Listen to Mario, LTM, Mario Lopez here, and What I love about this podcast is we talk to people from all walks of life and points of view. And this week, we've got a presidential candidate joining us. Going to be sitting down and chatting with Julian Castro, one of, I think, well, 21 presidential candidates running on the Democratic side. Here's the thing, though. No matter what political side you're on, he's a pretty impressive guy with an impressive resume. Stanford, Harvard Law School, former San Antonio City Councilman, then went on to be mayor He's a twin, <laughs> uh, was also tapped to run HUD under President Obama. So we're going to talk about all that, dig into his background a little bit and see what made him decide to jump into the 2020 race. So let's get into it. Listen to Mario. How are you, Secretary Castro? I'm doing great. Uh, well, although I will say, you know, this is uh, take a good look because this is the version of me before the bags under my eyes and the gray hair <laughs> takes over my head. How much sleep are you get in these days? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It ranges like I probably From I'm what averaging like, uh, you know, some nights I get seven hours of sleep. Other nights I get, you know, like four hours. Wow. This morning we had a fairly early flight. That left at 6.50 from San Antonio, but I've taken flights that leave right around 5 a.m., you yeah. know, and yeah. have a late schedule the night before, wherever we're, because you can imagine I'm almost living in an airplane right. these days. So it just varies. It does vary. Are you good with naps? Yeah, you know, you know how some people can't sleep on planes. Yeah. I can sleep on planes. Yeah. Fortunately, that helps. That helps. I'm I'm <laughs> a big fan of naps, and I think they're extremely underrated. Well, I'm excited to have you uh, uh, join me here on the podcast. First presidential candidate to join us. Uh, we're going to get to all that in a second, but first, I want to go back. You were actually born in San Antonio, right? I was in Texas. Yeah. My favorite, and I always say this: my favorite city in Texas. Uh-huh. I love the people. I love the town itself. Very charming. If anybody hasn't been there, they've got these rivers that run through and the river walk. And, yeah, and there's the a lot, walk. there's so much culture there. And um, it's just really cool. It's quaint, but but it's a fairly large city. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and you have a twin brother. You have I a twin do. brother. Yeah. And I'm talking identical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two, seriously. Well, although he, he is standard line because he's in politics too. He, he represents the 20th Congressional District of Texas, but his name's Joaquin. And 
I he goes around telling people that the way to tell us apart is that I'm one minute uglier than he is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the standard line. I'm actually one minute older than he is. That's funny. That's funny. So how was it growing up with a twin? Mm. It was a lot of fun. I, it was like mostly blessing, part curse. The blessing was, and people will know this if they have twins or if they are a twin or they had siblings or just friends that are twins. I mean, it's like you're a ready-made best friend, you know, yeah. somebody that is perfectly made for you. And so, for instance, in high school, I joke, but it's pretty true that I used to talk to two or three people a day and one of them was my brother. Like nah. I, I, the, the, the blessing was, it was a great, you know, he was always my best friend. The curse was that I didn't feel compelled to go out there and, you know, make a whole bunch of other friends at that time. Right. And, and what did, uh, tell me about like growing up, what'd your parents do? Well, my, uh, you know, my parents were together until we were about eight. My dad was a school teacher for 31 years. He taught mostly high school math. And uh, my Ooh. mom worked in the city's personnel department, and then she worked at the housing authority and a community college, mostly doing human resources. Are you good at math? So-so. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't major in it, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I majored in political science and communication, so that should tell you something. <laughs> did, you, did you live with dad, live with mom, or just sort of split your time? Yeah, we lived with my mother and my grandmother. And, uh, you know, my grandmother had come from Mexico when she was seven years old to San Antonio because she and her sister came in 1922 because her uh, parents had died hmm. and her closest relatives lived there on the west side of San Antonio, which was the sort of traditional Mexican-American barrio of San yeah. Antonio. Yeah, La Raza and, uh, in San Antonio. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, and then she raised my mom as a single parent and then my mom raised us as a single parent and our grandmother lived with us the whole time. So, you know, we had... Uh, uh, almost two moms. Yeah. Really. Yeah. No, that's very common in, in, uh, our, our culture. My, my, I grew up going to my grandmother's house who had her mom there. So I had my great grandmother until uh -huh. my twenties, believe it or not, which wow. is, which is very rare. And she used to have a shop. I don't think I told you. She, she used to have a shop back in the thirties. Um, and she was, she was very much a little businesswoman, and she lost it all during the depression. But long story short, she had her bedroom with a window there and she used to sell candy and coke she converted her closet into and she was little and she was selling really? stuff yeah, yeah. into her like 80s 90s yeah. and all the kids yeah. in the neighborhood would go and they'd buy yeah. all the stuff it's smart like, yeah, yeah it was very but like, smart yeah, god bless yeah, her so much there was so much uh, in the community entrepreneurialism you know yeah people would do that or people would sell fruit on the side of the road right or in, in you see uh, that here in la all the time yeah yeah, yeah a little fruit a, you know, hard community proud community you know a very faithful community Right. Well, what sparked your interest in politics? Well, my mom was, uh, you know, when Joaquin and I were growing up, uh, she was a hellraiser. You know, she was part of the old Chicano movement of the late 1960s and early 70s. Uh, she had been part of the Young Democrats before then. So she was always very active in different women's empowerment issues and Hispanic issues. And uh, I guess we sort of grew up around that. And so I can remember when we were like nine or 10 years old being taken to speeches and rallies and handing off flyers on election day, we kind of grew up around it uh, with this sense that that participating in the democratic process was a good thing, that you should do it. Because hmm. a lot of kids might discourage that, especially says that- Yeah, yeah, yeah most right? people Just want nothing to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> right, most no, people right, want but say, especially with their it. parents, sometimes they want to rebel yeah. and do the, the opposite. But I, I just think it's so cool that both you and your brother- Went to Stanford and then Harvard Law School, correct? We did. We did. In fact, we ran for our, our the first race that we ever ran in. Uh, we ran against each other for the Stanford Student Senate because they gave 10 voting slots to the top 10 vote getters. 43 people ran our junior year. 
and we both ran. Uh, and on election night, Joaquin and I tied for first place with 811 votes. Yes. Wow. So we haven't tied. settled that score yet, man. <laughs> wow, we haven't settled the score of who's better yet. Also, how confusing was that for the voters? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> right, that's probably why they tied. <laughs> now that, like, later on, somebody said, somebody said that they had voted for him and not for me. So, I mean, somebody must have voted for me and not for him, you know, to even vote it out. for him's you know? a vote for me. Or maybe somebody just hacked the election back then in 1995, and it's like we got tied right. votes, you know? And, and while in school, you interned at the White House under Bill Clinton. I did. What was I did. I'm a pretty charmed life for a Mexican kid in uh, San Antonio, going to Stanford, <laughs> yeah. then Harvard, now into the White House. Was it a sort of surreal, or did you just think this is the way things are supposed to go? Yeah, it really was, because, <laughs> you know, growing up, my mother and her group of activists, like, they were on the outside, you know? I mean, generations of people, whether it's Mexican-Americans, African-Americans, on the outside, sort of looking in to the halls of power— and to be in the White House, even though it was just an intern, right, and I didn't have any big responsibilities, it felt for the first time like, wow, you're actually inside yeah. in this hall of power. And What was uh, that like for you? Well, it was the first time that I was away from my brother uh, because we did everything together. Uh, and it was just eye-opening, you know. I mean, probably the most valuable thing was being in that setting this was the summer of 94. It was the year that they were doing the the um, crime bill and health care. Oh, wow. And so just getting to on, watch. Yeah. yeah, just getting to watch how people comported themselves then, you know, and the professionalism and, and the expectations. That was very valuable later on. You and your brother started a law firm. And you also ran for city council in San Antonio and became the youngest council member in the city's history. 26 years old. Dang. I was 26 years old, right out of law school. Uh, you know, we used to have these super strict term limits in San Antonio. You could only serve two two-year terms, which really sucks, you know, if you think about it. Because how do you get anything yeah, done? Yeah, I mean, you can have term <laughs> limits, but you need to make them a little bit longer than four years because by the time you get good at your job, you're gone. But the one silver lining for people that were coming up was that you could tell when there was going to be an opening. I was graduating from Harvard Law School in 2000. And there was going to be an opening in the neighborhood I'd grown up in in 2001. So it was sort of the perfect timing. Wow. And I ran and I got elected. Uh, and then I served four years there as city councilman. Ran for mayor when I was 30, trying to become the youngest elected mayor in the city's history. Running against a guy that was 70 and trying to become the second <laughs> oldest elected mayor. We went into a close runoff. And, uh, and he won in 05, in 2005. From, so that was my first race for mayor. Right. And eventually uh, you ended up becoming mayor. I did, of, yeah. Of San Antonio. Yeah, four years later. Four years later. Look at that. So, yeah, so you were 34. 34. Right? So 30. old. So yeah, old. Yeah, you were a geezer at that point. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think your biggest accomplishment as mayor was? My biggest accomplishment was something called pre-K for SA, right? So one of the biggest challenges in San Antonio, as you know, was uh, educational achievement. Right. Our, compared to other metro areas, the educational achievement of that city just lagged behind. And we knew that in this time where jobs require more skill and more knowledge than ever before, like if we didn't invest in a big way in education to try and change that, the city would never prosper as much as it should. So we got the voters to do something called pre-K for SA, which basically was to raise the sales tax by an eighth of a cent to uh, significantly expand high quality full day pre-K for four year olds. And got the support of the business community and also, of course, the education community and uh, activists there. 
and made this made the pitch you know on election night over 53 percent of the voters supported that i'm very proud of it because it's been it's being evaluated every single year and now the first cohort the first group of kids that went through it starting in the fall of 2013 have taken those third grade tests and we see that they're doing significantly better than kids that didn't go through it and even better than children that went to some other pre-k program right you know because we wanted it to be this spectacular pre-k program right that's got to be so gratifying to see that and in uh, uh 2014 uh, Julian, uh, President Obama asked you to join his ca- his cabinet as a secretary of HUD. What was it like stepping into that job? And, and is it and is it what you expected? I remember when that happened. Yeah, no. Uh, first of all, he called me on April 16th, 2014. You know, like I remember that because it's not every day that the president calls you, asks you if you want a job, right? What, what is that? I had just driven through the drive through at Panda Express <laughs> when he called. So you're, 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 you're crunching on some yeah. orange chicken. Yeah, 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 and all yeah. of a sudden you're here. Uh, I got it. Oh, yeah. you go. <laughs> and like the call, like the, the readout yeah. said, you know how it says like unknown or yeah, yeah, block yeah. call? It said private, right? Private. Uh, if there's yeah. any indication. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's. Uh, asked me if I wanted to serve as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. And, yeah, HUD basically helps invest in housing opportunity for people. And when I was mayor, that was one of the things that I had focused on, making sure that we invested in uh, neighborhoods and brought back and revitalized areas that had been ignored for a long time and gave greater housing opportunity. So I was happy to do it. You know, I, I became HUD Secretary in the middle of 2014, and I served until the day before uh, the current president took over. What was the most difficult part of that gig? I think the most difficult part was just that you really are in this bureaucracy where things move way too slowly. You know that, is it that commercial with the easy button, the red easy button? I used to think of the mayor's office like that. If you wanted something to happen, you could make it happen pretty quickly. In the federal government, you know, even when you have the best intentions, even when you got your act together, there's so much bureaucracy that it right. does take longer to get things done. I mean, there's an upside to that, which is once something is getting done, you can impact the whole nation, right? right? Many communities, many people. But the most frustrating part was that it takes longer to get things done. I've always said that uh, city manager, mayor, those guys have such great power and they can move. It's so old school and sort of throwback. In case yeah. there was any political aspirations for later on, I was <laughs> There you um, go. In 2016, you were rumored to be on the shortlist as Hillary's uh, VP choice. Was that legit? Did you ever have conversations with her about that? Flattering, nonetheless. Uh, Yeah. You know, it was it was a crazy process because, you know, the, the VP process is unique in American politics. First of all, most of the time you're just you're campaigning for something, right? If you're running for something, you're trying to get some position in politics you're out there asking the people or, you know, meeting with small groups, whatever. It's out in the open. The vice presidential process is so weird because, first of all, the person making a decision is just one person, right, Mm -hmm. making that selection. Uh, And you're supposed to pretend like you're not interested and even deny that you're even on the list. Let me get back to you. There's just this ritual of like, no, 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 not me. I'm not involved. Um, And then they give you, uh, this they gave me this 129 question questionnaire. So you, you got to take a test. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know. Then they vet your finances, they vet your personal life, they vet your your uh, public record. Of course, uh, they had uh, teams of lawyers 
that were producing binders of information about each of the people that was being seriously considered, which in that case was like nine or 10 people. And then at the end, uh, everybody met with Secretary Clinton. And she was, she was wonderful. I mean, she was great. And they actually did run a very professional, thorough process. When I say it was weird or crazy, it's not that anything they did. It's just so unlike the rest of politics, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was interesting. Yeah, I bet. No, that's fascinating. And- Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. And I, I know you're married. I uh, am, and, yeah. And uh, you have two kids. How old are they? Uh, my daughter, Karina, is 10 and my son, Christian, is four. Oh, okay. So yeah. you guys like around the same same age as me. And it's got to be incredibly difficult because you're being on the road and with the time, right? Balancing. You're still a dad. Coming home, still a husband. Yeah, that's actually the hardest part of it right? is, uh, you know, like on this trip, I think I'm only gone like three days, but I've had trips where I'm gone seven or eight days in a row. And, uh, you know, that is the hardest part, especially because with young kids, as you know, I mean, right. you turn around and they're a little bit taller or they're not into PJ masks anymore. They're into Spider-Man. <laughs> you no, know, you're exactly son. right. But it's so important. I was just having that nuclear family. And I think that's where a lot of problems to be quite honest uh, I think stem from is not having that just here in 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 America but how how much do your do your kids your family influence the decisions you make about your own career oh a lot you know before of course before I decided to run for president um I had to make sure that my wife Erica was okay with that and, yeah, it's a and team effort. really got eaten on my daughter 
Uh, my son is still a little bit young. But the good thing is that you know, Eric and I have been together um, since before I ever jumped into politics in the first place. In fact... Where'd you meet her? Uh, so I saw her uh, on May 20th, 1999. We were out Dang. with mutual friends. <laughs> at were you in a press drive through I was not. <laughs> I can't even I remember. Not. My wife can't listen to this because I can't even remember when our anniversary is. We have to remind him how long he's might. been married. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so on May 26th of this year, of 2019, we're going to mark, we're going to celebrate 20 years since our first date, which was at uh, Mi Tierra. You know Mi I love Tierra. Mi Tierra. Yeah, the restaurant. <laughs> I love that restaurant. In San Antonio, incredible. iconic restaurant. That was our first Open date. 24 hours, always packed. With Christmas lights Christmas on. lights everywhere, and the food's amazing. <laughs> Sounds like a commercial, but I'm telling you, I awesome. really love it. I love yeah. that place. Yeah. Wow. So what, was she uh, just happened to be there? Oh, no, that was your date. I'm sorry. Where did, where did you oh, yeah, meet? When, uh, this place called the Fox and the Hound, which no longer exists, I think. So like you met her at a bar. Bar restaurant. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Oh, you throw the restaurant but in there. Yeah. It sound cool. <laughs> yes, yes. You met your wife I'm trying bar. to get That's myself cool. covered. Well, also, I don't drink, so I wasn't drinking. <laughs> oh, so it really drink. was a restaurant to me, yeah, I'm Mario. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. So, oh, you don't drink. Okay. No, I don't. Just, I never don't. have, or you just give yeah, it up? Just, just didn't pick it up. Yeah. Just didn't, <laughs> just didn't pick it up. That's funny. Uh, I picked it up for you. You can drink enough for the both of us. There you go. There you go. I managed it though uh joaquin of course uh, your twin brother who you mentioned is a congressman are you both in line on most of your issues do you see your issues the same or do you agree or pardon me do you disagree uh yeah i mean i think that we have obviously we have walked through the world together we see things very very similarly every right. now and then we'll have a debate about something or other but i can't remember like a big issue where that was the case i mean um, and sometimes he's dealing with issues as a congressman that really, you know, when right. I was HUD secretary or mayor, I w- wasn't having to grapple with. But right. but usually, on the big stuff. Yeah. Oh, on the big step. stuff. Yeah. yeah we see stuff it. the same way. Yeah. What made you want to decide to run now? Well, I mean, you know, I feel like the United States is ready for a new generation of leadership. Uh, and I have always felt very, very blessed with the opportunity that I've had in life to go to the public schools of the country, uh, to grow up in that single parent household and then get to go, to go to college and to law school to become the first in my family to be a professional and then get to serve my city and serve the country. And I want to make sure that in the years to come, no matter who you are, what neighborhood you live in, what your background is, that you're also able to reach your dreams the way that I've been able to reach mine. And and I have a vision for how we make that possible. I've been out there saying that I want the United States to be in the 21st century, the smartest, the healthiest, the fairest, and the most prosperous nation on earth. Ambitious. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. What are the issues you believe uh, we need to be focused on the most? Uh, a whole bunch of them, but you know, investing in the ability of people to to succeed in the 21st century. Right. So we know the jobs require more knowledge and more skill than ever before. I believe that we need to do things like invest in universal pre-K for three and four year olds. Of course, we need to continue to improve K through 12 public education because that's where the vast majority of students are. And there's still a lot of schools that are failing our kids and need real improvement, right? Paying teachers what they deserve, reducing class sizes, making sure that the needs of a student, if they have special needs, can be met at that school. I also believe that it's time for us to to go beyond pre-K through 12 and really go to those next few years and make that universal as well. Uh, folks here in California may remember um, that up until the late 1970s or early 80s, the University of California system was tuition free. Mm-hmm. Right? In, in my neck of the woods of Texas, 
uh, people will tell you that in the 80s, it was you know, $50 a credit hour per semester or something like that. So it was almost free. So the thing is that we're competing against countries around the world that are producing these tons and tons of young people that are bright, they're creative, they're intelligent, they're hungry and ambitious. In order to compete with that, we don't have a single person to waste. And so I want to make bold investments so that everybody can prosper by making sure they're well-educated. I also think we need a different healthcare system. You know, my grandmother grew up with uh, diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, and right before she passed away in 1996, she had one of her feet amputated, which is, you know, is very common, especially in the Hispanic community. Um, But she had Medicare. I want to strengthen Medicare for everybody that has it and then make sure that everybody who wants to uh, have it can get it. If somebody wants to have a private health insurance plan, I think that's fine also. But I don't believe that in this country, in the wealthiest country on earth, that anybody should go without health care, uh, without the medication they need, just because they don't have the means. Uh, My grandmother, same thing happened exactly, too, with uh, right before she passed the diabetes and they had to amputate. I remember, tore up my dad. I remember yeah. from one of the like, only times I ever saw my dad emotional um, when that happened. You've said that you want to decriminalize illegal border crossings. Why'd you say that? Because I think a lot of the problems that we're seeing today, the separation of children from their mothers, uh, putting kids in cages, this family detention, the fact that you have people that wait years and years who were undocumented or seeking asylum for their court case to be heard, right? Just in limbo in the country for years. A lot of the problems that we have today, they flared up because about 15 years ago, we started actually treating uh, when somebody comes across the border, treating that as a criminal violation, it used to be treated, uh, it almost always used to be treated as a civil violation, not a criminal violation. If we were to go back to that and then invest in an immigration judiciary, like more judges, more support staff, to reduce the backlog of people who are here, if somebody is going to get their asylum uh, request granted, they can do that. If they're not, then they get an answer. Same thing if somebody is here who's undocumented and going through the court process to get them an answer as soon as possible. I also believe in putting the 10 to 11 million undocumented immigrants who are here, as long as they haven't committed a serious crime, on a path to citizenship. Because uh, you know the fact is that the vast majority of these folks are good folks. They're working hard. They're trying to provide for their families. And I believe that they have a lot to offer this country. Um, and on that, I've also said that you know, we had like 92,000 people who came to the southern border last month, right? The question becomes, okay, what are we going to do about the root cause of the issue? What I've proposed is basically what I call a 21st century Marshall Plan for Central America, right? To work with them so that people can find safety and opportunity in, in Guatemala or uh, Honduras or El Salvador instead of having to come and knock on the door of the United States to find safety and opportunity. We need to be smart about it to get to the root of the issue. Yeah, I, I was a border kid. I grew up in Chula Vista, mm-hmm. right next to Tijuana too. And I was always used to having the wall there. I just thought the wall went, <laughs> there's, there's a wall there on the border. I just yeah, through the whole through, border, yeah. Through the whole border. Yeah. I just foolishly thought that. Yeah. So when everybody was making a big deal later on about the wall, I was like, well, there's, always, there's always been a wall. I saw a yeah. wall. I grew up with a wall right there. Why, do you, why have you been so opposed to... If, um, the wall generally just as a symbol and continuing the rest of the 2000 mile uh, border. 
Yeah, so um, we have 654 miles of fencing, right? Basically fencing. In some places, it might look more like a wall, but basically fencing. It's a barrier. Uh, Yeah, a barrier out of 2,994 miles of border, right? Um, So my point is, we people ask, is the border secure? And I tell them, let's not confuse whether the border is secure with whether people are trying to come to our border. Yes, people are trying to come to our border, but you know they're being, they're being apprehended when they do try and come to the border or they're going through a port of entry, right? Uh, we have 654 miles of fencing. We have uh, thousands of personnel. We have airplanes, helicopters, guns, boats. We have security cameras. So I believe that our border is more secure than it ever has been and that we can ensure that we maintain that security. I don't believe in a wall because I think that the minute we construct that wall, it's going to change the notion of who we are as a country from the statue of Liberty that beacons people from around the world to a country that walls itself off. I would dare say that there's probably not a single instance of a wall going down in history as a positive thing. You know, you think about, uh, whether it's the Berlin wall, uh, or the great wall of China or whatever it is. Well, it's there, right? But that's still a very conflict-ridden area. You know, I've, I've been to Israel, consider myself a supporter of Israel, but that's because there's a different type of conflict there, right? Yeah. Do the other candidates feel essentially the same on this issue as well as um, the way you see your other... Because as a, as a spectator looking back, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm seeing the field and I'm like, they agree on a lot, the same things. So I'm curious to see how people are going to stand out in the debates. Am I wrong in thinking that, or are you, am I mistaken in thinking that you don't agree on a lot of the no, same? No, I mean, similar... I think it's fair to say that you're going to get people that, of course, you'll have a range, right? Right. Some and seem to s- be out radicalizing others. and <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, on some issues, some people will be more to the left and others will be a little bit more moderate. And I don't think anybody on any, I don't think there's any candidate that if you took all of the issues is the one that's most out to the left or most moderate, people kind of go back and forth depending on the issue. But I I will tell you this. I mean, so far I'm the only candidate that's actually put out an immigration plan, right? People can agree or disagree with my vision for immigration, but you've done, but Hey, look, I mean, this is Donald Trump's signature issue, right? So I figured, okay, well let's let the American people know what an alternative, positive, compelling vision for immigration policy is that, of course, maintains a secure border, but also, instead of choosing cruelty toward people, chooses compassion toward people. Um, so we'll see, on the issue of immigration at least, where else people fall. When you talk about health care, you talk about education, you talk about jobs and opportunity, sure, I mean, you're going to have a range of ideas, but generally there's a lot of agreement. What do you think of the other candidates on the uh, on, your, on, on your side? that your fellow competitors we have 21 now in all right so there are 20 other candidates i've said like if i wasn't running uh and i was just a voter in this election i would feel like that we have an embarrassment of riches of talent you have a lot of talented people who are running right people with their own ideas people with their own track record their experience some people with um with more experience than others uh, as I said before, some people more moderate and some people more to the left. But yeah, I mean, it's a very talented field of people. It's it's a, a great uh, time for Democratic voters because they're going to have a lot of great choices. Have you had um, an opportunity to give thought to who you would uh, like to see on the ticket with you? 
if given choice. <laughs> well, I'd love to see my brother on the ticket with me, you know, if I could. Keeping but it in the family. You can't Very bring Latino two of your people. That, actually sounds, that sounds kind of like a sitcom, basically. <laughs> see, I would, I would, I would like on days off, I just go off and I get my brother to fill in. For me. <laughs> or you know what I mean? Or the times you need to be in the Middle East, send my brother. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I mean, I haven't given serious thought to it yet. I, I figure first things first, right? And, and you know, you, and you have a nice disposition and come across very friendly. We'll, which I think bodes well when people are looking when it, when it comes to you guys in the debates. Is there another side I'm not familiar with? Can you get? Does, does the yeah, the, you know, people does the vato loco when you come out? Yeah, people, <laughs> people ask this question all the time, and I tell you, you know. I think the next nominee, right, when you're running against Trump, you're going to have to stand up to Donald Trump, which I can do. And I think a lot of people running can do. But I don't think we're going to beat him by trying to be him. Right. And so I want to be somebody that offers a strong, positive vision for the future and speaks directly to voters and to their families about what I would do for them if I'm elected president uh, and to do it without being nasty toward people. Uh, And, yeah, I think that I think people are looking for that, you know. How do you think Democrats beat President Trump in 2020? By, number one, trying to be somebody that, as a candidate, somebody that unites people instead of tries to divide them. Somebody that has a track record of honesty and integrity in public service instead of the ethical cloud that is hanging over the White House. Somebody that that is seen as wanting to be a president for all Americans instead of for 37% that he considers his base. And then fundamentally... Somebody that's seen as the future and not the past, right? I don't want to make the country anything again. I, I want to make the country better than it's ever been in the years to come. Like me, I know you're Catholic. Yes. yes. How, how important is uh, faith in your life and, and how does uh, your faith influence your policy proposals? It's important. You know, I've, I've, uh, I grew up in a Catholic household. My mom went to 16 straight years of Catholic school uh, she put my brother and me in for one year. Uh, and I have to admit that was enough. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I uh, made all my sacraments. My wife, Erica, is Catholic. We got married in the church and uh, and our little boy, Christian, goes to a Catholic learning center now. Um, it's important, you know. I mean, what I, what I have really loved about the Catholic faith the most is this sense of doing for the least of these that it teaches us to do good works, like a lot of faiths do. But that was the part of Catholicism that I have tried to take to heart the most. And also the sense of community that exists um, through the church. Mm. I I would be lying to you if I said that I was the most faithful churchgoer on Sundays. I'm not. But I do carry with me um, this strong sense of faith and, um, you know, following the teachings as I learned them. Right. Yes. As an infrastructure. I get it. Yeah. Last question. If you become president, what is the one thing more than anything else you hope to accomplish? That's, you know, that is one of the hardest questions. I've gotten asked that a couple of times before. And really it boils down to if you could do one thing, what would it be? And I would have to say that you'd have to address the most existential threat to our country in the long term, which is climate change. Right? If I could do, if I, if I could accomplish one thing, it would be to squarely uh, put the United States on the path to overcoming the effects of climate change, because it is very real. Uh, it is going to have a bad impact on all of us if we don't take serious action. 
and we need to lead again on it. There are many things that I want to do, right? We want to make sure people have economic opportunity, good health care, uh, good education. But if you said you can only do one thing, well, I mean, my first priority would be, well, then let's make sure that we're going to be around in 50 years, 100 years. Secretary Castro, it's been great chatting with you. Good luck on the campaign. Thanks a lot. Maybe I'll see you at Mi Tierra. That's right. <laughs> yeah. days. You're always come out to, to San Antonio. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate Like I said, I always say it's my favorite town in Texas. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram at Julian Castro, Texas. Let me, let me spell that out. At J-U-L-I-A-N-C-A-S-T-R-O-T-X. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast. Thanks a lot, Mario. So don't forget new episodes of Listen to Mario dropping every Friday on Mario.com to catch up on the podcast. And please make sure you follow Listen to Mario on iHeartRadio and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. More fun next week. Thank you so much for listening. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.